to the Jam Yearbook. I'm Jim. And I'm Matt. We're here to take you on a journey through the years as we explore the music in our lifetime and the impact it's had on us and the world we've lived in. Welcome, everyone, to version 2003. The final year we have for the 2000s, Matt. Yeah, we got the champagne on ice. We're ready to go. <laughs> we do. Sometimes I don't know how we plotted through, but now we've covered 2000s. I'm not sure if it's something I'd want to go back and relive. <laughs> You know, at the beginnings, I had really had high hopes for the 2000s. I thought I'd have a lot to bring to the show and, and maybe uh, saw it as a challenge to find things for you and others that they could maybe like. Uh, some of what I found, it it hasn't held up as much as I anticipated it would. And while we both found some bands that will take going forward, there's not a lot that can hold a candle to the, that, that nostalgic value that we have from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I'll say nostalgia so I don't come off as the guy saying today's music isn't good. No, and I think one of the things that happened to us in doing the 2000s is once we started realizing, oh, we're not finding a lot of stuff we really like there, we started to become these grumpy old men yelling at clouds. We self-referenced yes. this, and then we decided, wait a minute, we've got to try to find something good in here. And I think if anything that's happened for me while going through the 2000s is I have a much higher tolerance to rap because of of you so thank you for that and i think you've gained a little more tolerance for pop music and yeah. it's not like it's something either one of us are really going to go to think to put on first but we've taught each other the little tiny bit of value that people are getting out of it or you know we, we learn to appreciate that some music makes people happy that we don't really care for and that's what the 2000s did for us. Uh, yeah <laughs> yep dead on right there yeah. but speaking of not so good 2003 had more than its fair share of important losses. Yeah. So we'll bring in the Reaper. Uh, we had a love story come to an end. Johnny Cash and June Carter Cash. They met in 1950, married in 1968, and they both passed away in 2003. June passed away in May and Johnny in September. June's album, Wildwood Flower, was released posthumously three days before Johnny's death. He appeared on the album, so that makes it his last release before uh, his death. Wow. And then speaking of Johnny Cash, we got Sam Phillips, founder of Sun Records and Sun Recording Studios in Memphis, Tennessee, first person to record Elvis. He was instrumental in developing rock and roll in the 1950s. Elvis aside, Sun Records had an impressive stable, including Johnny Cash, as we already mentioned, Roy Orbison, Carl Perkins, and Jerry Lee Lewis. And then we had, well, there's quite a list of people from 2003. The man who didn't mean to turn you on, Robert Palmer. And then the man who meant to turn everyone on, Barry White. <laughs> we also lost Maurice Gibb, one of the BG brothers, and he was known as the nice one, the peacemaker amongst the brothers Gibb. <laughs> and then uh, bass player for the Jimi Hendrix Experience, Noel Redding. And everybody can give a werewolf salute to Warren Zevon as he passed away in 2003. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and last, we have Elliot Smith. He was young. His death is still shrouded in mystery, I'm sure there's a good podcast out there that discusses it. He was still putting out some strong indie records at the time. Okay, well, let's wrap that up, and we are done with all of the deaths from the 2000s. Let's talk about 2003. Right away, like a lot of other years in the 2000s, I'm not very attached to the music. No surprise there. I just graduated from college. I'm in my early 30s, and I was deciding to finally tackle adulthood. I'd gotten a job, Matt, with a big future ahead of me. 
working at Blockbuster Video. (laughs) (laughs) Did they give you stock shares? Oh, no, but I got to take home all the new releases a week before they came out. That was the bonus. Well, you know, at a young age, that's a perk. Yeah, it was a nice thing. But let's talk about the music. And all right, everybody, all aboard. We're going to get on the John Mayer hate train here. Well, we'll see. Heavier Things was a massive album for him. What I want to discuss is, why do I have so many friends that have serious issues with this guy? In 2003, if Linda was going to take a bath, it was Candles and John Mayer. Matt, as men, does John Mayer threaten us? Are we jealous? (laughs) Is it natural to dislike a guy whose music was possibly more enjoyed by women than men? Uh, We could probably say the same thing about Mr. Ed Sheeran right about now, too. That's true. Um, uh, For for me personally, uh, just becoming a dad and I was going baby shopping a lot. (laughs) I couldn't. There were certain artists I couldn't escape and John Mayer was one of them. So... (laughs) Yeah, that that's where my annoyance is. Uh, I think more so, though, that we know what he's capable of. He's an extraordinary guitarist. Yet so mm-hmm. much of what he does under just his name, you know, not the, the trio, it's junk he can just write in his sleep. I'm sure he just wakes up and says, oh, blah, 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 blah. okay, I'll put these six, five, four, three, and, and we'll <laughs> go. If it, it feels like the effort isn't there or it's because he wants to make money, he's pretty much said this in an episode of hot ones, you know, he's got songs that are for him, you know, 11 chord, three key changes, masterpiece songs. And then he's got some that are for his fans because you know, without fans, where are you going to be? He knows how to play for an audience and build an audience. And that's every person I've ever heard hate on him. Like you just did usually in the same breath admits he's a really talented and great guitar player in another (laughs) Because you have to admit both. Yeah. So, I mean, what's the issue? He's dated more beautiful women than you and I. Is that is that a problem? Why can't we ignore him like we do all the other pop stars? But instead, we wind up in conversations about how douchey John Mayer is. <laughs> Did I listen to heavier things to prep for the show this week? Oh, hell no. It's a missell. Okay, it's, we're on the same page then. Yeah, it, it, okay. It's, it's not heavy. That, that album's not heavy. <laughs> it's, the, the, maybe the, mentally. Yeah, maybe. I think that's I what guess, it is. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Um, the music, the subjects of the songs, it, it's a bit of a con. And he did date Taylor Swift, so maybe it's the Swifties that are spreading all that hate. I don't want to say they're a spiteful bunch, but they got her back. Right? <laughs> yeah, they do. And, and, and guys probably are jealous of all the women he's dated. I mean, we can't admit to that, so we just attack his music. But the interviews I've seen with him, he comes off as an okay, normalish guy. He just can absolutely rip on the guitar. I don't think when we were growing up, we really had artists in our generation that were like John Mayer. And a lot of the singer-songwriter people that were in the 80s and in the 90s were kind of leftovers from the 70s still with Tom Petty and Billy Joel and Elton John. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have young guys coming. All the young guys that were coming up in music were all making dance pop stuff and wearing parachute pants. (laughs) Or they were all in hair metal bands. But they weren't solo artists in this way that John Mayer is. So I tried to put some perspective on it with a little bit of a twist. He's not overly masculine, like the rock music that I think you and I were drawn to as kids and we really liked through many of our adult years and still like now. If you look at the 70s, I bet you there were a lot of Deep Purple, Kiss, and Aerosmith fans 
who just couldn't stand James Taylor. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> He's a little bit more rock than JT, you know, a little. Maybe he kind of falls into uh, Jerry Rafferty or Chris Rea, Dave Mason. You know, maybe his early songs are more 70s soft rock. So I guess we can have uh, Yacht Rock claiming. Oh, there we go. Yacht Rock again. We're going to do this show. Yeah, we are. <laughs> All right. So let's move away from John Mayer. We we agree. We love him and hate him. And that's an issue. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure when it comes to 2003, we both could give or take or just get rid of the Black Eyed Peas. Mostly. Yeah. Mostly yeah, give. Yeah. But they broke through in a big way. Where's the love and let's get it started. We're everywhere. I just want to use this moment to bring across this theory that I have. Will I am is known for embracing technology. And I am absolutely certain that knowing how algorithms work, he has decided to name a bunch of his songs after previous hits. Here's a list of songs that are on Black Eyed Peas albums. Simply the best, Jump, Firestarter, Just Can't Get Enough, Rock That Body, Missing You, Party All the Time, Big Love. Come on, if you're going to look up Big Love by Fleetwood Mac, guess what you're also going to see there? You're going to see Big Love by Black Eyed Peas. Yeah, you are. And how many people do you think are going to go, oh, I wonder if this is a cover? And they're going to click on it. Oh, my God. That's dastardly. Yeah. I don't I don't agree with that tactic <laughs> at all. Screw you. <laughs> Not you, Will I Am. Yeah. <laughs> you could be right. It's surprising that they didn't choose a name that of the band that might come up first in lists. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, there, there's an indie artist out around this time, A.A. Uh, a. Bondi, right? It's like he's right at the top of the list when they all come up in my library. I'm surprised they didn't do that instead of Will I Am, <laughs> unless it goes by Am, comma, Will I. And nah. then he might come up near the top. You know, they are one of the most annoying bands for of all time for me. There's a place for them. And I know some people, they like them. Uh, and I'm going to try to be nice. <laughs> but I I can see the flip side because um, it would be hypocritical of me to call it shallow. Again, hey, I'm a Kiss fan, right? <laughs> I, I can't call the, call the kettle black. It's just a different kind of party music. I just, I do not dig club jams. That's, that's not my thing. All right. So let's, let's leave black eyed peas behind. Yes. Uh, let's move on to the white stripes. They gave the world a new anthem in 2003, seven nation army. You cannot go to a sporting event and not hear this. If it, there's a warm up playlist before a concert and people, there's just going to be a roar of people chanting that. Oh yeah. It's even huge over here. It's big in, you know, soccer slash football stadiums all around Everywhere. the world. Yeah, it's just massive. And, you know, name checking a couple of different artists from this year. Placebo probably had one of their biggest albums in 2003. And I know how much you love Such Great Heights by the Postal Service, Matt. I like that song. I'm just kidding. I like that song. No, that's it's actually I, it's a good I, song. I dig Ben Gibbard's voice. Um, I'm a Death Cab fan. So I, I gave uh, Postal Service a checkout. Yeah. Is Postal Service his band as well? Yeah, Ben Gibbard, yeah. So he's Death Cab for Cutie and Postal Service. I didn't know that. Yep. You yep, just he's in both. You just taught me that right here, right now on the show. I saw your notes and I was like, what's Matt talking oh. about? I had no clue. Oh. So cool. <laughs> 
cool. This, ladies and gentlemen, that's Matt. He is the encyclopedia of names of people in. I try to yeah, be indie rock bands. for some reason. I don't know why certain <laughs> things just can't escape my head once I know them. <laughs> uh, but 2003 also gave us a fantastic debut by Jet Get Born. They got everything right with this record. Great raw sound. The mix is pretty dry, which helps lend a garage rock band feel to it, like a band just starting out. I don't know if the sound was added or if it happened legit in the studio, but during the tight breaks, and especially at the end of Are You Gonna Be My Girl, you can hear the hum of the amps. You know that ungrounded sound, Jim? Mm -hmm. That's like that's That alone is music to my ears. I know what's going to happen. It lends an authentic feel and sound to it. It's actually in quite a few spots of the album. If you, you can hear it, if you got some headphones on, there's a different level of songwriting and musicianship than the pop punk that was taken over rock radio. Yeah, Jet felt like we might be getting a rebirth of that ACDC sound. And I'll admit it's my own fault for not trying to find more of their music after 2003. I never picked up a single one of their albums again. So I don't know if they just declined, if the music didn't get any better, or if the world just moved on and you know other types of music took over. But this CD got a lot of play in my car. Cold Hard Bitch has such a great buildup with the intro, and then the main rock beat was heavy, vintage, but it still sounded fresh. And this is what people are talking about when they say rock music you can dance to. Yeah, and I think they just kind of got lost in the mix, you know, because you had, what, the Strokes and the Hives, you know, and different bands that were coming around with, you know, again, another similar sound. The Darkness, they kind of had a little bit of an ACDC sound as well. Yep, yep. And they also hit it big in 2003 with, yeah, I believe, in a thing called Love. I did listen to that album this week. That's a good album. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed yep. it. But then we have these bands, Fall Out Boy, Yellow Card. American Hi-Fi, Panic at the Disco isn't too far down the road. They were building on the foundation laid by bands like Blink-182, Green Day. I'm not going to lie. A lot of these bands, they do have some catchy songs, but there's not much making any of them stand out from the crowd of themselves. They all mm -hmm. just kind of sit there. Overall sound, guitar tone, the mix, vocals. I mean, we were crapping on panic at the disco and probably fallout boy. Cause we couldn't tell the difference between the singers, but yeah. <laughs> you got that with a lot of these singers in this band. Uh, everything just sounds so homogenous. I, I know bands will have their influences, but so many of these pop punk bands, they wore those on their sleeve. Yeah. You kind of just felt like you were getting a carbon copy of an older band and they was just constantly being rubber stamped down the line. Mm -hmm. I feel like I know what my parents thought about hair bands now. Though I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to make, you know, some uh, comparisons. I, I still can't believe someone would name their band Hoobastank and have high hopes of one day being a Hall of Famer. That just still blows my mind. But but the reason, Matt, the reason. I've got a funny story about the reason. I was driving, I want to hear the reason story. I was driving home one night late working for Blockbuster in Burlington. And I was driving back to Rutland. And it's about, you know, an hour and a half drive home. And I think I was working up there for a few weeks, driving back and forth. Blockbuster closed at midnight. You got out of there by about quarter past 12. And I wasn't seeing home until about two o'clock in the morning. So listening to the radio and listening to music was a big part of my journey and keeping me awake and my mind never active and paying attention to everything. And at this point, I'd never heard the song, The Reason by Hoobastank before. And it came on the radio and 
boy, did I think it was absolutely beautiful. I just thought it was one of the prettiest songs I'd ever heard. And I, it reminded me of Linda and I got all sentimental and sappy listening to it. And then, yeah, I, that it wore out on me then you, really the, the, fast. Then you, oh, I thought this was going to be a story where you went back home and you said, Hey guys, you got to hear this song. It's so deep. And then they held you down and slapped you. <laughs> I think at some point I saw that it was actually Huba Stank. And I went, oops. I, I just... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the name of the band alone would make me go, I'm never listening to that again. I think that song, The Reason, is one of those songs that if you never put it together with Huba Stank, it might have actually sounded better and been a better song. Yeah, probably. Yeah, but and, I would agree with that. And we both loved early punk. You know, come on, the Ramones throughout this whole show, and you've brought a lot of yeah. great punk to the show. And Green Day seemed to have already done what a lot of these bands were going for. And they were probably inspired by Green Day and the success, and it's probably the yeah. reason why a lot of these guys picked up guitars in the first place. And to learn three or four chords and to write a, a pop punk song probably came pretty easily to these guys if they can still write good music. I remember when grunge broke in the nineties and the people that were in the sixties generation didn't completely embrace it. We all thought, Oh, listen to these guitar solos. Listen to this rock music. This sounds more like Hendrix than, you know, Motley Crue and Warrant and Poison, all those hair metal bands, the eighties sounded like, but the, most of the, the folks I knew from the sixties listened to Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and went, no, no, that's no. not my thing. No, <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird because Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, it. I don't necessarily think they fit the grunge label. They're more metal bands. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Sludge metal and Soundgarden's pretty close related to hair metal, um. But you know, it became a geographic, yeah, thing. Oh, it did. We had label. Be yeah, grunge definitely became a geographic label coming out of Seattle. I think somehow when the next generation takes the sound of the previous one and puts their own spin on it, there's always going to be a little bit of animosity over those changes. There, yeah, yeah. Pretty soon, it's gonna. They're gonna. We're overdue for another rap rock blend, aren't we? No, oh, no. Yeah, you're probably right. We, we kind of are. Yeah. You know, it's. I don't know if it's necessarily skipped a generation. Some little kid now whose grandparents are making them listen to Linkin Park, they're going to come out with something when they're 16. And I like to scroll through Instagram and I like to take a look at people who are playing music and playing guitar. And I have actually seen, and it might be more young women. I've seen, you know, young women, teenage girls learning how to play this new metal music, learning how to play corn and stuff like that with their dads. So I think you're right. I Good. think we're we're going to see something come around. But let's shift gears and talk about the pop music in 2003. And oh, actually, can we? Yeah. Well, and speaking <laughs> speaking of women, we talked in one of our 2010 episodes, I forget which one it was, at some point about how it seemed like women took over pop music. For guys, the success was either found in hip hop and, and in rap or in full bands. And I know somebody out there right now is shouting about John Mayer or shouting about Justin Timberlake or John Legend, but they're a rare exception compared to the amount of women that just dominated the charts. And looking back at 2003, I think this was the year 
women took over pop and they never gave it back. And Matt, you know, it's not the first thing we're going to grab and listen to, but you can't avoid how massive these female artists were. Oh, without a doubt. And Austin, by anything we said about women, the leading the way, regardless of the genre, they just kind of, uh, they had the numbers and, and they sold the records. Mm -hmm. Uh, We just talked about black IPs. It seemed that all anybody wanted to talk about was Fergie. Right. Again, back to the women. And a portion of what rap and rock do to gain attention is shock value, whether that's based on performance or content. And I, you, you weren't going to get that with a lot of, you know, you're not going to get that with Beyonce. No, but here we go. 2003. And this is where Beyonce's solo album came out. Alicia Keys had a huge album. Kelly Clarkson won American Idol. And all of a sudden she was everywhere. They took over the pop charts for the next 15 to 20 years. Pink released another big album in 2003. Kaylee's brought her milkshake to the yard (laughs) and then throw in some of the well-established women of the time, like Mary J. Blige and Dido. In my opinion, it really stands out as a special year because all those women had really big albums. Yep. And Britney Spears was still around, right? Wasn't this toxic? And Christina was there. She was still doing. Yeah. 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 Yep, I'll put Pink up against any of the rappers and rockers as far as being a badass. Mm-hmm. What she does during those performances, it's pretty spectacular and a damn amazing physical feat. I'd like to see 50 Cent spinning up around in the air and being able to control his voice like that. <laughs> I don't think he can control <laughs> I'd, it. Well I'd like to volunteer for spinning him, see how fast I can get oh, him going. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> okay, so let's go back to uh, the metal, the new metal that we were talking about earlier, or as I renamed it in one of the previous episodes, pop metal, because no, it's not new. It's They don't get to be mm-hmm. new, new. This was still hanging on strong, but the crown was being handed over. Corn and Limp Biscuit, they were losing their stranglehold on the scene. It was gaining ground in the pop title that I'd given it. Evanescence had a really big album. The Wake Me Up song was massive all over the place. And Linkin Park, well, they had the rarity of not having a sophomore slump. We know so many bands have one big album that is their mm-hmm. first, and then the second one comes along and they disappear, and that didn't happen. And I know Lincoln Park's not your kind of music, but when Mitch and I did our thing around Burlington in 2011, I transposed Numb to a softer acoustic song, and it worked really well. The lyrics to it are incredibly... I guess I just want to say kind of like sensitive, they're deep, they've got a meaningful feel. And it was really easy to feel the emotions when I was performing it on stage. Well, and you could do this. And while people have, it's all over YouTube, but people take in, Hey, yeah, by outcast. And they put an acoustic guitar to it. And then you're like, Oh, these lyrics are actually kind of hitting hard. Yeah. This is about (laughs) divorce, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. This isn't, this isn't a happy song yet. This when Outcast does it, it's all nice and poppy. Yeah. Um. I, but a different take on a song, it can open up to a different audience too. Similar to what we were talking about, uh, for movies in our soundtrack version, it's applicable to music. You reach a point where it's all been done when you're listening to it, right? We all have our biases based on age and all that. And what was that when we were younger, right? Mm-hmm. In 2003, I was not at an age where I could relate to the angst of a teenager or 20 something based on the sound lyrically, it's different, but if I don't get hooked into the sound, I'm not going to really pay attention to your lyrics. Um, and it had everything to do with how it was packaged. It, It would be unfair to bang on it because I know this wasn't music 
made by my generation for a different generation. Um, but getting back to the alt pop emo punk scene, right? The Atari's cover Boys of Summer. I didn't need that at all. <laughs> Don Henley's version is untouchable. But if a newer band can open up a different audience to it and maybe they go back and they didn't know the original and they listen to it, uh, maybe Don Henley wins some new fans. Yeah, look at the cover of Smooth Criminal by Alien Ant Farm. You know, yeah. the, the, some of these bands did do cool things in bringing that music around. And I would like to think that the the pop punk emo scene fans also decided to go back and listen to the original. I'm sure they probably still like their band's version of it. But I also think it goes to show that these bands do have a respect for the music that built that bridge for them to be where they are playing those, you know, mm -hmm. pop punk songs. So in this metal scene, this part of the conversation we've been talking about, there is a big glaring elephant in the room from 2003. And that is Metallica's Saint Anger. I know you watched the documentary about making it some time ago. You've talked to me about it before. And I think I've just kind of pretended I watched it because I've yeah. heard so much about it over the years. You yeah. know, you, you know, people talk about it or you read an article and you, all these discussions come up. And so whenever somebody else talks about it, you just smile and nod and laugh. And, yep. you know, but I actually watched it for the first time this week. The making of that album was one absolutely huge dysfunctional moment for them as a band. Yeah, and that snare drum is completely unforgivable. Why does it sound like Lars is playing a children's drum set? In that? Oh, man. I don't mind a snare drum that rings a little bit, but that ringing has to stop at some point. And it continues until the next hit. Yeah, and they're recording with Bob Rock. These guys all have so much experience, and the drums just sound absolutely horrible. Oh, one of my favorite YouTube pastimes is looking up videos of how terrible a drummer Lars is. <laughs> he has, he has quite a few haters out there and I really felt bad for Kirk Hammett in that, that documentary. It looked like they tore his heart out when they suggested no solos. L Lars was telling him they're outdated. That's bullshit. <laughs> this is Metallica. Why wouldn't you put a solo in all of these songs? Kirk was a team player though. He kind of came around maybe, he realized all oh, the cameras on me. I don't want to make a scene. Uh, so I'll, I'll give him his due for just being the bigger man mm -hmm. there. He could have put up a bigger fight. Uh, when, when asked about it in an interview, though, he said the reason for it was because, again, we wanted to move together, all four of us, in the same musical direction. Well, there was only three of you at the time, unless you want to include Bob Rock in your band. Uh, we also wanted to preserve the sound of the album, which apparently is shit. <laughs> it's a hot mess. But I, again, I dragged it out at least three times this week because I can see that some of the songs would be good if they, you know, would just had their tweaks and a damn solo here and there. Mm -hmm. um, but hey, it's Bob Rock, so I guess we can blame Canada. <laughs> you know, but he also played bass on the album. And it's, again, surprising the guy that recorded the bass on the album yet again buried it in the mix. Yeah, I was surprised when I I had not realized that he played bass on the album because I had seen parts of this documentary before where they were doing the auditions of all the bass players to join the band. And when I was watching it, I was a little perplexed as to why didn't they do that first and bring the bass player in to write with them? 
So this whole point of respecting everybody as musicians and bringing it all together, I don't think Metallica really has a lot of respect for bass players. <laughs> no, they do not. And it was, it was ass backwards because maybe you bring in a new guy into the band. Yeah. It might be, you got that feeling out stage and maybe it might make the songwriting part of it a little trickier, but also it might have injected a little energy into it because they did not seem interested in recording an album at all. No, they didn't. It really looked like it was a, a job that you're not enjoying watching them go yes. through the process of making that album. It, yeah. it looked like it looked like they needed a break. Yeah. Going to work every day and wishing you were just on vacation anywhere but there. And that's not how you should be as a musician. If you're going to be a musician out there putting out albums in our heads, in our minds, thinking about it, we want to see a creative process where people are, are happy putting stuff together. Yeah, of course it can be frustrating. We've, we've both done recordings and, you know, take after take after take, but I also think their whole approach of let's get together, let's rent this space and let's write the album at the same time. That doesn't always work, but to leave the fourth member, to leave the bass player out, because as soon as Robert Torrio joined the band and they chosen him, they were taking him out with them, like, you know, they just got in a new car, driving him around, showing him off to everybody. Yeah. He, he was, yeah, a, they, 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 they had the uh, MTV icon yeah. presentation. And he walked out with them as an icon. Like, there he is, a member of Metallica. <laughs> yeah. But screw you, buddy, if you think we're going to invite you to the studio to actually help us write songs. Yeah, exactly. I, I would oh, like to think man. maybe his influence on that band has helped them get a little bit better over the years. Yeah, because he's a phenomenal bass player. He's a great bass player. And he was the right choice. Watching that documentary, I I enjoyed seeing a lot of those guys that I've seen play with other bands. And he just definitely fits Metallica. Yeah. 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 And he didn't come in like some wide-eyed, you know, school kid. He, you know, yeah, it's exciting to be in Metallica, but he'd been around quite a while. He he understands, you know, band dynamics. Yeah. Well, it's amazing that we're going to get to our five and we haven't said much good about music from yeah. 2003, but we saved it all for 10. We we did. We did. We've got our five songs a piece and there is good music in 2003. And I'm sure there are songs that are going to be put in from the poll that we're going to enjoy having on the playlist. But I think you picked 2003, if I remember correctly, because you wanted us to get through the 2000s. So Matt, you get yes, to go first. My apologies. You will pick the first song to go on the playlist this week. All right. Uh, some of my songs are going to get a little weird this week. I didn't go full indie, but <laughs> I, I promise you, I, I won't lead you down the wrong road. At least give these a chance. I'll go with TV on the radio. The song is Satellite. TV on the radio. They're a really cool indie band. This is partly a makeup playlist selection. I've missed all my other opportunities to add them. Um, so I had to pick one off this album. There's a soulfulness in his voice that sits apart from the sampling of the, the percussion, it, but it still, it works. It fits well together. And I love the vocal pattern during the course. If you're a Pixies fan, they also do a really cool acapella version of Mr. Greaves. Okay. It's a little weird, but after doing this show with you for over a year, I can see now how this song fits right into your wheelhouse. Matt, you like those songs that have that self-aware coolness factor about them. That sound that could flirt with being an indie radio song, but it skirts just outside those lines to maintain a sense of uniqueness. And that's where this song lies. It's cool. 
it doesn't sound like anything else. I can't say, hey, TV, you know, on the radio sounds just like this band. It doesn't fit that way for me. Uh, they just have a, a very unique sound. So, already, how are you going to start your five? I'm going to start my five with the opportunity to put one more 311 song on the playlist. And it's the song Reconsider Everything. I've given a lot of attention to 311 on this show. We've already joked about how there's a, an hour and a half sitting on the cutting room floor of me drunkenly telling <laughs> you how great 311 are. But not really anything. All I did was say one smart ass remark, and Jim tore my ass for like ten minutes. <laughs> it was longer than that. Trust me, I edited yeah, it. Yeah, we were talking at least like twenty to thirty minutes. I'm almost crying over how much I love Three Eleven. But for the past twenty uh, years, good times. Their music hasn't really spoken to me that much, and it's not to say their music has gone downhill. But I think as I've become a bit older, I haven't really needed them as much anymore. The album Evolver is where they slipped away from me, but there were still a couple of good songs on it that I did really like. And this song, Reconsider Everything, it, it stood out. I like the guitar line in it. I like the, uh, you know, the beat. It just has everything that's cool uh, with a 311 song. If I can bring one more of their songs to the playlist before we get through these years, here it is. I'm going to do it. All right. This is a, this is a good uh, Jim Jam 311 song. Uh, 311 is one of those bands I feel like I missed out on. Uh, not much of their catalog speaks to me, but they have so many devoted fans. <laughs> you think? <laughs> yeah. They, no, they they do. And a lot of the comments I read about this stuff is just the positivity that surrounds the band. Yeah. And the fans. So I so I I can get by I can get behind that. And this this sounds like classic 311 to me. And I'm not gonna comment on anything you just said. I'm gonna let us go to the next song <laughs> and not not hold you here. It's because you're not drunk. Uh, not hold you here for another 10 minutes. <laughs> All right, what's your second song? All right, a little more indie goodness with super furry animals and golden retriever. Hopefully, this is getting close to the last of Matt's obscure BS, right? I'm pretty sure that's what everybody's <laughs> thinking. Um, it doesn't matter how well known a song it is. I, I like it, and that's that's all that matters when it comes to my five. This is the kind of gem I would scour podcasts to find back in the day. They're from Cardiff, so maybe our UK listeners will remember this one. Yeah, I still see super furry animals around here from time to time. I think they still tour. I think they're still together out playing. But I think this song does have a good sound, and sometimes with this obscure material. It just needs a couple of listens to digest and say, oh, that's what they're doing. And this is that kind of song. That's what it was like for me. It's got a good original feel and I like it. I, I will check them out more when they come across. Alrighty. So what is your second song? My second song is going to be, I mentioned her earlier and it's Alicia Keys. The song is If I Ain't Got You. This song oozes of classic 70s soul. In the middle of the Disney princesses, Alicia Keys' sound was an absolutely welcome addition to pop radio. Alicia was inspired to write the song by the untimely death of Alea. Ultimately, material things mean nothing. She actually offered the song to Christina Aguilera at first after she'd written it. I don't know why Christina didn't sing it, but I am so happy she did it. And we have Alicia's version of this song. It's such a good song. Total throwback sound. 
I hadn't heard this in years and I wasn't really into it in 03. I'm not still not going to, you know, go out and buy it. But since then I'd been on YouTube been reacquainting myself with these fantastic sounds of the seventies. And this song would fit right at home sandwiched in between Al Green and Chaka Khan. Oh yeah. It sounds like a classic Dion Warwick tune. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good yeah, that's a good pull. It's got yep, a great that's, feel. That's a good comparison. Yep. All right. What are you giving us next, weirdo? All right. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with Cafe Takuba and EO. Uh, I hope this isn't too much of a challenge. That's not my intention. I won't pretend I didn't find it this week. I, I completely knew fine for me and I fell in love with it. It's in Spanish. I believe they're from Mexico. I used to have a hard time listening to music that isn't in English, but sometimes, and we've talked about that roadmap that songs have, you know, the song verse, the the chorus, verse, chorus, solo, and all that. And right along with that is rhyme schemes. Mm -hmm. And so, so so bands like Cafe Tacuba now I have this um, and uh, the Japanese band, the pillows, they give me a break from the rhyme scheme. And it takes my mind off of where the roadmap is because I can focus on different sounds and uh, melodies and, and whatever. Um, this song bounces. It's infectious. All week I'd been listening to this song nonstop almost. I found the way he was singing. It was reminding me of the way Lux Interior of the Cramps would use his voice in that quick slapback echo mm -hmm. in a percussive manner during recording like on Surfing Bird. Don't be confused. This is nothing like the cramps, but this is as fun as music gets. 2003 was an overall challenging year for us, but I found a new band that I'll, I'm going to dig into further. Yeah, this, <laughs> when you sent your five to me and actually, Boy, this already sounds like a glowing review. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you yeah. said, you said you were going to be a little out there with Indy and, I kind of messaged you back pretty quickly after listening to this one first. It was the first song I picked to listen to. And I was like, yeah, that's weird. I told you a little while back, I was making the playlist, the soundtrack to my summer. And I've been listening to it for the past couple of weeks now when I've had time to just chill out, barbecuing in the backyard. We're going camping soon. I'm going to make sure that, you know, it's going to be over 60 hours of music. It'll cover us the whole time. Every once in a while, a song comes on and I'll think, which one of us added this song? That's not going to happen here. <laughs> definitely a Matt song. I need to give it a few more listens, but I can hear the fun aspect. This one fits right in that category of weird without being offensive or challenging to my senses. And I, I know how much you like the cramps. So having that sound there, it's a good opportunity for a different addition. One of the things I'd recommend to you is if you have a problem with rhyme scheme, go find bands that actually originally record their album in French or Spanish, but then do an English version of it. And it's oh yeah, really, that's a good idea. It's really interesting to listen to them sing these verses that don't actually rhyme in English, but it still all fits the music kind of as far as syllables are going to fit into the the pattern yep. and the writing. And um, yep. it, it almost makes the, the people sound like geniuses because they aren't rhyming. <laughs> it's oh, it's so it's so poetic because yeah. it doesn't rhyme. Yeah. Uh, no, I get what you're saying, but I'm finding that I don't necessarily have to have my music in English because a lot of the times and I've, I know I've said this before, where a lot of times in songs, 
the lyrics don't come to me right away. Mm -hmm. There's a there, there's some kind of sound or a melody that hooks me in, and 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 sometimes I will get to the lyrics much later. And in here, it's just full of all these little interesting, uh, like putting an octave pedal on the bass to give it like an eight bit sound, and uh, the the heavy breathing and syncopation to the beat. I don't know. It just it got its claws into me this week. That's cool. It's nice to have something a little little bit different, very different. <laughs> it's nice to have something very different on the playlist. It bounces people. Give it a shot. All right, Jim, what is your third song? My third song is going to come from the band Fountains of Wayne, and the song is Hackensack. I know you approve, Matt, straight away. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. If someone tries to add Stacy's mom to the poll, I just may delete it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I won't. But uh, come on, the temptation is going to be real. Welcome Interstate Managers is a much better album to be remembered for Stacy's Mob. Hackensack is just a smooth little earworm. There's been speculation that they've denied that it was written about Christina Ricci. She grew up in New Jersey, I believe, in a town nearby where they were. I think they're a little bit older than her, though. So, But Adam Schlesinger said that it was just about reminiscing of, of his old town where he came from. So it's, it's such a great song. And I also recommend checking out the song Mexican Wine. Just skip Stacy's mom. But she's got it going on, Jim. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, Fountains of Wayne, they rarely disappoint. And yeah, Stacy's mom, it needs a break. But j just listen to it mm -hmm. and you, you'll see why. Um, if you don't have the urge to skip after the first course, I would be very surprised just because you've heard it so many times. And I think it's one of those songs where there there's the obvious humor in it and it only takes on new life when you show it to somebody that's never heard it before. Yeah. And then you can kind of relive the giggles mm -hmm. that you got the first, you know, thousand times that you heard it. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Hackensack's nice, smooth song to add to the playlist. Yeah. Glad to have it on there. Been waiting for this one. That's another album. I think I've talked in the previous show, like <laughs> I've been waiting to bring a song for the whole show. All right. What is going to be your fourth song? I'm bringing some Ben Folds into the mix with a cover of a Cure song oh, in between days. Yeah. Hey, you know, uh, it's a Cure song roundabout at least. I, I even like the Cure version of the song. This is a really great song. Ben pounding out that melody on the piano, it does it justice. Ben Folds, he, he's a musical genius. He makes great covers. He And he has a knack for picking the right ones. Yeah, this this is great. I added the original version of the song to the playlist. And this is a great cover. So I wholeheartedly approve. I hope someday, <laughs> you know, there's that magical moment where somebody's listening and they play back to back. It's definitely yeah. one of my favorite Cure songs. And Ben Folds is one of my favorite musicians. So this song is a win-win all day. And I just have to say, folks, that... For the previous three weeks, Matt has had his five in before the show. Like, like at least like sometimes a week in advance, I've known Matt's five and he's not changed them. And then I woke up this morning and there had been a different song there and it got pulled. And this is the song that got put in its yep. place. But, but I told you that yesterday. You did. You did. I be Because I had an Andrew Bird song in their lull that I absolutely adore but I remember my researching, like, oh, shit, yeah, Ben Folds. But I didn't have access to my phone to write it down. I'm like, oh, I'll remember. And then in texting you, I'm like, 
oh, there's another song. I just can't remember <laughs> what it was. And then I finally found my note. I'm like, oh, yeah, here we goes. But I knew you'd have no trouble commenting on that song. No, I'm absolutely happy. And it was a lot of fun <laughs> to listen to this afternoon. And I'm, I'll be happy to have it come around. So good stuff. Yep. All right, Jim, what is your fourth song? My fourth song, I'm actually probably going a little left turn indie here, ah, which is rare for me. But the band is My Morning. It's a one-way street, Jim. Once you go down it. You... <laughs> no, I'll, I'll come back with my fifth. But My Morning Jacket, One Big Holiday. I think I get very attached to songs sometimes that I've covered in bands. And I played this song with a great guitar player. He was a great singer, and he totally killed it on stage. It was that anticipation of what Lindsay was going to bring to the show that just really amped me on stage playing the song. I'll always enjoy this coming around to the playlist because when I hear it, it just takes me straight back to that moment. This makes two songs by By Morning Jacket, I know. Uh, you know, this is one of those bands I kept seeing their name and I'm like, ah, for some reason, I just kept saying, nah, nah, I'm just not into them or uh, maybe I was afraid of getting into them. I don't know. Um, I just don't know how I avoided them. I, I should know more because they kind of sit in that same soundstage as like Band of Horses or the Shins, bands that I do like. There's a live version of this that I'll send to you to check out at some point. Because yeah. I think sometimes you write a song and you bring it into the studio, but then you play it on the road for a while. And this was a couple of years later. And the live version sounds a lot more like what I was playing with Lindsay. It picks up. Oh, okay. it's, yeah, it's a little faster, but still, this is the album version. I'm bringing it for 2003. Cool. And now we need your final song of the 2000s, Matt. This is it. What'd you pick? How uh, are you rolling out of the 2000s? I'm going to roll out with some ween and transdermal celebration. Oh, yeah. Oh, here we go. A little ween. Yeah, Quebec. What a great album. Yeah. Transdermal celebration. It's a very sane song from them because they can get pretty wacky. Mm -hmm. And there is a really funny story behind the solo that Dean Ween did in this song. They're obviously they're recording the album and he got a call from his roadie. He had another friend who drive who was driving trucks, delivering equipment. Um, and he was happened to be delivering equipment for this other guitar player who was going to perform on a TV show. And listening to him uh, tell the story, he likened it to a bank heist as they snuck in, unboxed the, the guitar, the amp, the pedal board, and they all hooked it up. They brought a portable recorder, and, and he did the solo for Transdermal Celebration that made it onto the album, all using Carlos Santana's rig. Yeah. This is so ween. <laughs> I can just imagine them sneaking around like kids in Scooby-Doo. Uh, that, that's great. This might be my <laughs> favorite story I've learned since doing the show. You told me that this week, and I'd never heard this before. I love that this is how the solo was recorded and it's a damn good guitar solo. It's really cool. Yeah. Ween, as weird as they may seem, they stand apart musically from a lot of other, I'm going to quote unquote, art rock bands. I don't really know if that's what they are, but they kind of fit into that category. It's very experimental, I would say at times. Yes. But from songwriting to execution of their musicianship, Ween continued to develop their craft and they just kept getting better and better over these years and a song like transdermal celebration proves that whenever they want to they can just craft a good little pop rock song yeah yeah it's great all right jim i gave my final song of the 2000s now it's up to you you will give the final song of the 2000s on the jam yearbook and what's it gonna be here we go i don't think anybody will 
disapprove of this. It is Outcast, and the song is Roses. Outcast were great during this period. And look, it's no secret. Hey, ya is going to make the playlist in the group poll. Yeah. You know, that's, I think we had a song a couple of weeks ago that got maybe like 12 votes. And we, you know, usually they're pretty spread out, but there was a couple of songs. I think it was like the gambler by Kenny Rogers. It's like, everybody yeah. was like that one. I think knockout yeah, punch. I think this is also going to be a knockout punch from the poll, but this song was a pretty big hit too. Roses. The music video is based on Greece and West side story kind of blended together in a high school sense of throwback to the 1950s. And I think Sinbad's in the video and Paula Abdul. Paula Abdul, right? Yeah. 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 But, you know, from the piano intro and its slinky groove, it's just fun. Everything on the album is in the shadow of Hey Ya, and maybe deservedly so. But since I'm pretty confident that's going to wind up on the set list from the poll, I want this song there as well. And I, I hope people enjoy hearing it again. Oh, I'll look forward to both of them being on the playlist. Cause you know, it's going to be there. Yeah. It's Hey, y'all's more than welcome. That shit don't stink, man. <laughs> That's a great song, but we're not doing any sappy acoustic versions. D don't try to be, don't take my job. Don't be the cool kid in the room and try to add them on there. <laughs> no, no, it's gotta be, it's gotta be straight up outcast. Exactly. Outcast makes any playlist better. All right, Matt. We are done with the 2000s. I think during the times doing this podcast over the past year that we've kind of given each other side eye and felt like this was work is through. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But it's nice to go out with these 10 songs and I'm happy to have them all there. And I'm looking forward to listening to all the songs we added from the 2000s as we, as oh, we yeah. forge ahead. All right, Jim. So we're finally done with the 2000s. Everybody listening can probably breathe a sigh of relief <laughs> along with you and I. Uh, so I browsed to 2003. So it's your duty to tell us where we're going next. I think all the years we have left from this point forward are going to be a lot of fun. But I'm going to take us to a year we have been waiting for because I know there's a lot of music we enjoyed. And that is 1994. It's... Oh, so... Yeah, we're going to talk about one album a whole bunch on that one. Yeah, well, hey, everybody, if you've been waiting for the moment where we actually talk about how much we like Weezer, this happened in 1994. For everything <laughs> yeah. bad that we said about them later into the 2000s, it's all going to come right back around to us basically worshiping that album for an episode. <laughs> but there's a lot of other good music in 94, so I'm really looking forward to talking about that. Okay. So Matt, why don't you wrap us up and we will get going and come back next week with version 1994. I will. I'll sh I shall give us the final goodbye to everybody listening. We want to thank you for tuning in to the GM yearbook. Don't forget to check out the playlist and check out the Facebook page. Yeah, we're all over social media. Don't forget to check us out. TikTok, Instagram, we're everywhere. We're worldwide. Yeah. We're the GM yearbook. We we are. <laughs> And we will see you here next time for version 1994. I can't wait to start listening to that music. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Everyone, take care. Peace, love, and podcast. Yeah.